You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Thank you, Mike. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? If, and I'm so glad that uh, Mike gave that introduction and uh, alerted everyone because I was going to get up and say that in case you didn't notice, I'm not Eric Barton. <laughs> <laughs> Mike already took care of that for me. Uh, and I know, I know that uh, it likely would have been kind of confusing because we do look a lot alike. And so some of you might have thought that we were like twin brothers or something like that. But uh, thank you, Mike. I love Mike. Mike, I told Mike this morning I'm going to take him with me to my next family reunion. I just think he would fit right in. He just has a way about his, himself that uh, nobody else has. <laughs> yeah, y'all laughing because y'all know that, that what I'm saying is true. Uh, but, but thank you, Mike. It's such an honor to be here. I am, again, my name is Ricky Garner. I have the privilege of uh, pastoring the newest campus, Bethel Bible Church, the Hope Campus. And I uh, also have the privilege of being here with you this morning. Eric, by the way, is not on a Caribbean cruise or he's not on a uh, trip through Europe or anything like that. He's actually uh, at Hope this morning preaching. And so we decided to swap pulpits this morning. He's there preaching. And I said to Eric, I said, Eric, I just pray. He said, I'm praying for you, brother. And he, you know, as Eric normally does, had some interesting things to say and some uh, uh, neat things to say about this day. And one of the things I said was, Eric, I just pray. I, I need you to pray for me that uh, I don't do too much damage in 30 minutes or so. That'll take you hours to repair when you come back. So I need you to pray for me also that I won't do that. <laughs> uh, but again, it's an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, we are starting a new series uh, at Bethel um, entitled The Attributes of God. And we're all starting that this morning. And so I'd invite you to join me uh, as we look at that uh, in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Now, let me just, before we go there, 1 Samuel chapter 16, by the way, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. Before I do that, let me just uh, say something. Uh, in order that I may, that, that I, I, you know, don't do what I said I would try not to do, I need your help. Okay, I need you to do something that may cause you to be a little bit uncomfortable this morning, but... Those of you that know me, that's, know that that's kind of what I'm about is uncomfortableness. I don't even know if that's a word, but just whatever. I need you to lighten up and help me teach this. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to join in with me and help me teach? What do I mean by that? I just mean that if you hear something that, don't, that makes no sense at all, don't just get up and walk out on me. Hopefully you won't hear anything like that. But no, I, in all seriousness, um, I just need to hear from you. Amen every now and then. A giggle or a laugh or something. There you go. That would now. See, now we can read. Now. <laughs> Thank you, brother. 
Amen. First, first Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to read uh, for our hearing from verses 1 through 13. First Samuel chapter 16, 1 through 13. Uh, and it reads thusly, uh, and I'm reading from the ESV version. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. And go, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to, to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Uh, in keeping with the theme that we have, uh, the attributes of God, from this passage, I want to talk about the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God as one of his attributes. Uh, if you would, would you allow me uh, to share a bit uh, of a news flash with you this morning? Would you allow? Now, I asked you to talk back to me now. That means there was a question and that means I'm waiting on an answer. Is there anybody that would like to get a news flash this morning? All right. Now, <laughs> uh, so here it is. Here, here's, the, here's the news flash. There is a categorical and definitive difference between our wisdom and ways and the wisdom and ways of God. Is that news to anybody? That's really not much of a news flash, is it? Uh, we, we really know that, but sometimes we don't, we don't act like we know that. There is a great difference between the way God does things and the way we do things. While God may certainly be known by mankind, he is still incomprehensible in the totality of his person and purposes. His thoughts and ways 
are much higher than ours. In fact, he says so in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, is there that God says these words, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than yours. Uh, it's important for us to recognize and acknowledge some things about our great, awesome God. As we look at uh, this wisdom aspect of God, it's important for us to recognize that uh, our minds are finite. God's is infinite. Our wisdom is limited. His is unlimited. Our understanding has boundaries. His is as vast as the very universe that he created. Our vision is restricted, but our God has x-ray vision. He can see beyond what we can see. Uh, and for these reasons, for these reasons, we must surrender ourselves to complete dependence on him and complete and total trust in him. We have to do that. We have to surrender to his wisdom and acknowledge that he is the great and awesome God and his thoughts are higher than ours. And we must understand that and sub submit and surrender to that versus depending on our own wisdom, which oftentimes we default to. We, we depend on our own limited wisdom. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, that noted Puritan preacher from the 1700s, said this of this very subject. Edwards says, a truly humble man is sensible of his natural distance from God, of his dependence on him, of the insufficiency of his own power and wisdom, and that it, and that it is by God's power that he is upheld and provided for. And that he needs God's wisdom to lead and to guide him and his might to enable him to do what he ought to do for him. Paul says it another way in 2 Corinthians 5, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. He says this, he says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Paul says, but our sufficiency is in God. Paul says this of God. Edwards reminds us about this of God. It is incumbent upon us to always remember that God is supreme in his wisdom. God solicits our surrender and often demonstrates his prowess as it relates to wisdom in order to teach us valuable lessons, some of which are found in our text today. Uh, if I might, I'd like to discuss God's wisdom as recorded here in this story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So a story that is familiar for most of us. But I'd like to see what we, what we can see in this passage about God's wisdom. First thing I see as I look at it and meditate on this passage is this. God's wisdom is unmatched. His wisdom is unmatched. It's right here. I'm not making it up. It's right in the very first verse of this chapter. It's, it's right there uh, in, the first, in the first verse. 
Uh, in that first verse, God says this again, or, or the text says this again. Now, the Philistines, I'm sorry, I'm in, that's in 17. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. God's wisdom is unmatched. To be unmatched is, in this context, is to be unrivaled. It is to be sovereign above all others, alone, having supreme authority, supreme power, supreme ability, supreme rank, and supreme resources. That is what being unmatched in wisdom and authority means. And as we look at our experiences with God, we know that that is the kind of God that we serve. Uh, can't, there is nobody who can beat God being God. Nobody can beat him being God. Nobody can do it like God does it. He is often imitated, but he's never been duplicated because he is unmatched. Satan, uh, also previously known as Lucifer, uh, tried to imitate God and it didn't go too well. You recall that the record of this event is recorded in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, where it is recorded this way. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground? With it, with it weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. He attempted to be equal with God, attempted to imitate him. But there is no match. There is nothing or no one uh, in the entire universe that can come close to God. In verse one of our text, we see the unmatched authority of God on display because it's in verse one. We find three affirmative, conclusive statements. We see in verse one, two I haves and one I will in this text. We often ourselves, we, we, we often attempt to make these statements. Remember I said that there are two I haves, one I will. We, we say those things uh, and, and we attempt to make those statements and we do that. But the difference between us saying it and God saying it is he has the power, the authority and the unrivaled wisdom to bring it to pass. We'll say things with good intentions, with the very intention of doing whatever it is that we've said we will do. But our ability, our authority is limited and God's is not. God says this. He says, I have rejected him. Referring to Saul. God is the only one who is holding the stamps. One says approved, one says rejected. And the sovereign God has stamped 
Saul rejected. Now, to understand Saul's rejection, we have to go back and pick up the story in chapter 8. Because in chapter 8, Samuel is serving as judge of Israel. But the text says that Samuel gets old. And I've learned that getting old, although I'm not really that old, but I'm older than I used to be. And I've learned that uh, once you hit a certain age, things don't work like they used to. Memory fades. Body parts don't work like they used to work. You know, you get up in the morning and you have to sit on the side of the bed a little while thinking about whether or not you really want to get up or not. You know, things just change. And Samuel in verse eight, actually it happens in verse seven, has reached the point where things are no longer working like they used to work. He has gotten old and he decides to uh, allow his two sons to be appointed as judges. And he appoints then his two sons as judges over Israel. Uh, and he does this. And uh, when he does this, he appointed his sons and his sons, Joel and Abijah, uh, as they appointed, appointed as his successors. Once they are appointed, Samuel's two sons fall victim to that familiar temptation of material gain. Uh, they become uh, guilty of being, being tempted by bribes. And the text says that they don't judge in an honorable way. And so they fail miserably. Uh, and so the people come to Samuel because his sons have done such a bad job. And they demand a king. They say their reason for wanting a king is because all the other nations have one. They come to Samuel and say, appoint us a king like all the other nations. Now, let me just say this. Whenever you have a desire to do something just because others are doing it, that's a big mistake. It reminds me of when I was growing up and I used to come to my mom, my dad and say, uh, can I have such and such? Or can I go such and such? Or can I stay out late? Or can I do this? Or can I do that? And oftentimes the answer would be no. And my reply sometimes would be, well, my friends, some of y'all laughing because y'all had some of those same experiences. Some of you are laughing because your kids now say that and you remind yourself of your parents when you say to them the same thing that my mom and my dad said to me. I don't care what they're doing. As long as you're in my house, we go by my rules. And anytime we find ourselves having the desire to be like somebody else just for the purpose of being like them, it is a big mistake. And Israel was in the midst of making a deadly mistake. And they only wanted to do this so that they could be like other nations. God had chosen Israel to be his chosen people, his nation, he didn't choose them to be like other nations. He chose them to be his people. They had this desire, though, to be like others. God, through Samuel, tries to warn them about the king they thought they wanted. 
uh, he tries to warn them. He says this to them. He says, Samuel, go and tell them these things and see what they say. God says, I know that it's probably not going to work. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, I, I realize that they want this king, but, but, but try to convince them to change their mind. He says, tell them these things. He says, go and tell them that, they, that this king, when he is appointed, will make your sons uh, and appoint them to his chariots and to be horsemen to run out in front of his chariots. He said, he, tell them he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take your best, the best of your fields, your vineyards and your orchards. He will take those things. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. But... The people respond by saying, none of that matters. We don't care about that. We want a king like every other nation. And so then, in chapter 9, God relents, and Saul is chosen as the first king of Israel. Saul appeared from all outward appearances. Saul appeared to have all of the makings of a king. He was tall, attractive. Just a word there for everything that. So, so this is kind of. Let me let me put my spin on this. All right, can y'all can y'all work with me for a minute? Everything. See, grandmama used to say it this way. Can y'all relate to that? Anybody here ever have a grandmama? You may have called her something else. Amen. We call mine Big Mama. Big Mama used to say this, everything that looks good to you. See, y'all can't help me finish it, so let me help you. It's not always good for you, right? Just because, and Saul looked good. He was tall, especially the ladies probably liked Saul. He was tall. He was attractive. He looked like a king. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a capable and experienced military leader, but he also had a rebellious nature and would not share his power and authority, which led to trouble. And God had predicted that this would happen. But the people refused to heed the warnings of God. So then in chapter 13, he failed to wait for Samuel at Gilgal and made excuses for his failure. Then in chapter 14, as the decline continues in chapter 14, he neglected the needs of his own men and swore a foolish oath that almost cost the life of his own son, Jonathan. And then finally in chapter 15, the straw that broke the camel's back was when he failed to kill King Agag and all the Amalekites along with the livestock. In chapter 15, the chapter that precedes the one we're in, God says to Saul through Samuel, go to Amalek and kill everything in sight. Don't bring anything back with you. Kill them all and take, and take nothing and bring nothing back. But Saul 
in his rebelliousness goes and does just the opposite. He, he goes, they destroy everything, but they keep the finest of the livestock and they spare King Agag and keep him alive. And then Samuel confronts Saul and says, did you do what God instructed you through me to do? And Saul says, yes proudly. He says, yes, he's boasting. Yes, we did it. And then Samuel says, if you did, I know Samuel said in his heart, you're lying. Because if you did what God said to you to do, then why do I hear these sheep bleeding in the black in the background? Why do I hear this noise going on? It sounds like sheep. Saul, you're lying to me. You didn't do what God instructed you to do. Do you not realize that obedience is better than sacrifice. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. And so then, Saul is rejected by God. As we get to chapter 16, he is now rejected by the one who holds the stamp. God says, I've stamped you rejected. And God, uh, this is another sermon for another day, but God says to Samuel, Samuel, why are you mourning over what I have rejected? And I think that's also a word for us because oftentimes we'll do the same thing. We mourn, we're sad, we try to hold on to what God has already said he has rejected. God holds the stamps. His authority, his wisdom is supreme. Not only does he say, I have rejected Saul, he then says, I will send thee. He, in his infinite wisdom and authority, is the only one who can say, I will send thee, and it really have some meaning to it. Because when you are unmatched, when you are sovereign, and you have a, a supreme wisdom. There's one thing that will always accompany those that are sent by you. And that's favor. And we know that when God sends you, many of us ought to be able to uh, testify that God has sent us somewhere that we didn't have any business being at or have any business going to. But when we arrived there, we found the favor of God awaiting us. It was for no other reason but that the sovereign God had ordained the moment. The sovereign and unmatched God had said, I am sending you. And so then when, when you got there, you were amazed at how things just worked out. I don't know about you. I've been there. I've been there. His favor goes. Then he says this. He says, I have provided me a king. No one else can say such a thing and it have the authority that it has, that it has when God says it. He says, I have provided a king. I have chosen a king, provided a king for my people. And so then we see that in this, in, in chapter, in verse one, God's unmatched wisdom displayed. He's the only one that can say these things and they have meaning. Second thing I see is also in verse one, but it goes through verse four and is this. God's wisdom is revealed in his attention to detail. 
It's revealed in how God, his wisdom, if you ever look at the way God orchestrates and synthesizes things in our lives and synchronizes them together, you'll realize that God does things in a detailed way. Uh, His ways are not random. They're not accidental. They're not coincidental. They don't happen by chance, but rather they are very specific. God does things in a very specific and detailed way. There's a great deal of foresight and planning goes into anything that God does. He's never caught off guard or ill-prepared. He is very deliberate in everything that he does. Let me, let, me, let me tell you what I mean by that. It's in the text. He sends Samuel to a deliberate and a specific town. He sends him to Bethlehem. That, that wasn't a coincidence. It didn't happen by mistake. He didn't just choose some random place. There was a specific and a detailed meaning uh, and emphasis behind why he sends him to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, as most of you know, uh, is, is the, the name means house of bread. And so although it was just a small hamlet, it was well known to the Jewish people. Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, died near Bethlehem while giving birth to Benjamin. It was in Bethlehem that Ruth the Moabitess met and married Boaz and gave birth to Obed, David's grandfather. David himself would make Bethlehem famous, and of course, the son of David would be born there. Sends him to a specific place, Bethlehem. But then, not only that, he sends him to a specific family. He says, go to Bethlehem. Don't just go to Bethlehem. Go to Jesse's house. Uh, There's a reason why he sends him to Jesse's house. It didn't happen by mistake. It didn't happen by accident. It was not coincidence. God had, had thought this out. He says, go to Jesse's house. If you trace the history, you'll see that God had been at work Uh, long before now in this family planning for this time. He brought Rahab, a pagan idolatress, into the nation of Israel, and she married Salmon and gave birth to Boaz, who marries Ruth and has Obed. So he, he sends him to this family because God had been at work in this family for a long time, making preparation for this day. God does things in a specific way. Uh, uh, he has been at work in our lives. And even before we were born, he knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. He already ordained that you would be sitting where you're sitting right now. You may not like because you're sitting here, because you may not like this loud, crazy preacher. But I want to submit to you that you're not here by accident. It's not a coincidence. There is a reason why you're here. There's a reason why I'm here. I don't know what it is. I'm just fulfilling what God said for me to do. And you are as well. When you leave here and go have lunch today, it is ordained. God orders our steps when we submit to him. Have you ever been somewhere and ran into somebody that you hadn't seen in 20, 30 years and wonder how you may be at Walmart and you run into somebody you hadn't seen and they say, I was just thinking about you. And you say, I was just thinking about you you too. You were on my mind. It's not an accident. Have you ever been somewhere and somebody just struck up a conversation with you? You were trying to get somewhere. You had something else on your mind, but somebody struck up a conversation with you and something on the inside told you to stop and talk with them and come to find out they needed to hear about Jesus. Not necessarily you just beating them over the head with the Bible, but you shared the light of Christ with them. Somebody say amen. 
I know I'm not the only one that's happened to. God ordains everything about our lives when we submit to him. And so God sends Jesse to a specific town, to a specific family because it had been preordained. He sends him to not only a specific town and to a specific family, he sends him to a deliberate and a specific person. Which brings me to my third and final point. Not only is God's wisdom unmatched, not only is God's wisdom revealed in his attention to detail, God's wisdom often challenges our preconceptions. This is found in the text in verses 6 through 13. And I won't read it because we've already read it, but let me just say this. God sent Samuel to anoint the next king. The problem is that the only experience Samuel has had with anointing a king was with Saul. And that's a problem. (laughs) Because because in chapter 9, verse 2, it says that, as I've already mentioned, Saul looked kingly. He was very handsome. He was very tall. In fact, he was taller than anybody else in all of Israel. So because of this experience, Samuel has a preconceived notion about how a king should look. He does. Now, don't you dare get all judgmental about Samuel for having preconceptions. Because all of us have preconceptions based on our life experiences. Samuel's no different. The only time he's ever done this before, he looked at this man, this great, tall, handsome man, and he is the king. And so now God has called them again to anoint the next king. And in his mind, there is this picture of this tall, handsome, kingly man. So he goes into this situation thinking that he knows what the next king should look like. The late theologian and preacher, Dr. Charles Booth, contends that there are many things that go into making up your slant or your view, your outlook and your preconceived notions in life. He says that there are streams, tributaries that flow into us throughout life that shape and mold our psyche. He says one of them is family. A lot of what we know and do, we learn in our families. Our DNA, our biological, our sociological and physiological DNA uh, uh, causes us to react and to act certain ways. Uh, Oftentimes, it's no fault of our own. We just have been conditioned a certain way. It's a a stream that flows into us. The other one is community. What community were we raised in? What community uh, was, was around us as we were being shaped and molded? It has an influence on how we view life. Our norms, our mores are created in community. And oftentimes there's no fault of our own that we have this on the inside of us simply because where we were raised uh, in the community that our education has an influence. Education, lack thereof, whatever, has an influence on how we go into situations. Our friends that we have is another stream or tributary that flows into us that serves to make up our preconceptions. Not only that, but our enemies. Anybody have enemies? You have at least one. (laughs) Y'all got to lighten up a little bit. This is, y'all working me too hard. (laughs) You do know you have at least one, right? (laughs) All right. 
all of these things make deposits into us and collectively make up our experiences. All of them. Experiences can cause you to go into a situation thinking you already know the outcome because it happened that way before. But if you are not careful, you'll forget and miss the fact that God is not concerned about how things happened before. He is about to, can I put my spin on it? He's about to flip the script from what you're used to. He's about to do that. Uh, One must temper or suspend any predispositions when dealing with God. His wisdom and ways surprise us sometimes because we can't see what God can see. It's in verse 7 where he says, God, man looks on the outward appearance, but God with his x-ray vision is able to see beyond what's on the outside. And he is able to look at the heart where we can't see the heart. We think we know someone's heart just based on how they look and how they act, but we can't see the heart. God can see the heart. We make our judgments and our decisions and we form our opinions based on what we see. David was the youngest of eight boys. And not only that, he was the least likely to succeed. He wasn't even invited to the gathering. He wasn't even, everybody, all the other sons were invited. David is left in the field minding the sheep. But God, if you didn't already know, uses the least likely to do the almighty. Now, that should have been a reason for all of us to say amen, because all of us should be able to relate to the fact that at times we have been least likely. But if, we, if we're honest, we'll, we'll, we'll admit that God has used us in ways that we shouldn't have not had an opportunity to be used, because it is what's on the inside that counts. David became the greatest king in the history of Israel, an ancestor to Jesus, Listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, he became a man after God's own heart. This was God's testimony about David, not David's testimony about himself. Saul may have been a physical giant, but David was a spiritual, spiritual giant. Uh, Samuel comes and Jesse marches his sons through. Eliab is first. And Eliab reminds Samuel of Saul. So in his mind, in his heart, he says, surely this has got to be. He reminds me of Saul. This is the next king. He looks just like Saul. He's tall. He's handsome. He is got to be. But it's not him. Then Shammah comes through. All these sons march through. And God says, no, I'm rejecting all of them. And Samuel is confused because there are no more sons. And God says to Samuel, ask if there's any more. And do you have any other sons? Jesse says, yeah, there's one. But you don't really want to see him. (laughs) Certainly it couldn't be him. I mean, he's just a little runt of a boy. He, he's ruddy. He, he, not even, he doesn't even look like a warrior. He's short. He's ruddy. He's young. He's inexperienced. And on top of that, he's out, mind, he's out working right now. He, he, he doesn't have time to come. He's doing other things that I have him doing. 
God says to Samuel, send for him to come. Samuel says, Jesse, Jesse, send for that boy. And when, here's a shout for you, when before he says anything, when before he does anything, when he walks in, he doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't have to do anything. God says to Samuel, Samuel, I know this doesn't make any sense. I know he doesn't look like a king. I know it does not add up, but anoint him. That's the next king. You may not look like anything, because I don't. You may not feel like you, you, you have any significance. You may not feel like you add up. You may not feel like you meet the expectations that the world has. You may not feel and look like a supermodel, like you look like, you look like a supermodel, because it doesn't matter what you think, because I don't know about you, but I feel like I look like a supermodel. <laughs> to me, I mean, I'm just saying. You may not feel like you have significance, but God is saying to you, I want to shock the world by using you. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter where you come from. There is ministry. There's a, there is a, uh, a purpose that God has for us. God says to Samuel, Samuel, anoint him. He is the next king. God is not concerned about any of, any of what we look like, any of that. He wants to use us. In fact, I know it's true. Doesn't matter what our background is, where we come from, any of our education, doesn't matter. He, you, because you remember in Scripture, he uses all kinds of people to do amazing and miraculous things. He uses Moses, a murderer, to be a deliverer. He uses Nehemiah, a layman. He uses... Amos, a herdman from Tekoa. He uses Peter, a fisherman. He uses Matthew, a tax collector. He uses Paul, a persecutor. Then he uses a baby boy in a manger who grew up as a carpenter, a tender plant, a root out of a dry ground. Text scripture says he had in Isaiah no form of comeliness, no beauty that we should desire him. Do you, anybody know where I'm going with this? despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Then Isaiah says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Just in case you don't know who I'm talking about, his name is Jesus. He used the least likely, a baby, who they would not even make room for in the end, to be our Savior. That ought to be a word for us today, that he can also use us. Here's my big idea. I know you got to have a big idea, right? It's not that complicated. It's not, it's not going to be anything like what Eric would have as a big idea. I'm not that, you know, complicated and deep. I'm just a simple guy. <laughs> Here's my big idea that I get from this text. God's wisdom is beyond amazing. His wisdom is beyond amazing. 
Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for what you do. We thank you, Father, for being so great, so awesome, so wonderful. We thank you for surprising and shocking us when we least expect it. We thank you. Bless us, Lord, to apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.